Hello, Docalos. Welcome your pretty faces to the Documenteers. I am your host, Bob Sham. I'm on all of them, and I split the time with one of my special expert pals as we discuss documentaries of all stars and stripes. And Creeptober rolls on as we discuss what Drew, those for this episode, thinks is a horror movie. That's right. We are continuing our 30 for 30 journey. Winning time. Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. We break it down, and Drew just breaks out into He was pretty much in a dripping sweat throughout the entirety of this episode. Three-fourths of the way through it, we had to stop because he had just diarrhea everywhere, and I had to clean it up. Uh, you can't tell because of my amazing editing work, but yeah, we had to clean up a lot of Drew's diarrhea because he just had the nervous poops, and he was holding it in for way too long. He says he likes to hold it in. But we move on. This is Creeptober, and we consider this at the Documenteers a Creeptober movie. That also happens to be a 30 for 30 movie. That also happens to be arriving in the order of when we <laughs> of the 30 for 30 count. How convenient. Next week on the podcast, we go to the frozen fjords of Norway to talk about that, uh, that metal your parents used to warn you about. That metal that uh, makes you want to set things on fire and kill your friends. Creeptober creeps forth as we discuss the 2008 documentary by Aaron Ates and Audrey Yule about the early black metal scene. We're talking about the film Until the Light Takes Us, and Ginger will be joining us for that creep-tastic episode. Let's get on with this film with my buddy Drew, Poopy Pants Drew. <laughs> I don't know why I'm... Anyway, winning time. Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. Oh, which is directed by Dan Clores. Keep on your docket. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. I go out to shake John Stark's hand, and he wouldn't even shake my hand. So I'm like, what's up with that? I had no problems with John before that, so I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. And from that point on, I made it a mission. I'm gonna embarrass this kid. pretending you have headphones like we have that budget <laughs> this is week three of creeptober here at documenteers creeptober first movie we talked about this month was never sleep again the elm street legacy sounds creepy about the nightmare on elm street series last week angela and i discussed the true crime supernatural crossover with the hbo original beware the slender man That's you a remember crossover with that tv show supernatural no it's the Slender Man might have appeared on that show. The show has a very strong fan base. It's been on over 10 years. I'm still amazed by Slender Man. Just a, a bullshit story on an internet forum, and now people are making movies about it and killing each other about it. Yeah, very mediocre movies. And, but you remember that episode, right? That was really good when we talked about it. <laughs> These are bangs like way ahead of time. 
Now, Drew, this you cover. You and I talk about sports movies, thirty for thirties, and we're gonna uh, get through all of them. That's right. We are gonna grind through them all. And everyone's thinking, like, okay, so you're taking a break from Creeptober to continue on with your thirty for thirty journey. But I would argue that there is a scary element to the movie that we're about to talk about. It was horrifying, especially if you're a fan of the New York Knicks, as Someone in this studio is. Yeah, if you've been paying attention at all, you'd realize that when we talk about sports, I'm a fan of New York teams. He's uh, I grew up in New York. Referencing NY all the time. Been living here in Nashville for over a decade now, and I've come to love the Nashville teams. I support the hell out of them and love getting to the games, love talking about them on the radio here. But the New York teams still have the biggest spot in my heart because that's what I grew up as a sports fan, as a kid watching these games. And yeah, damn straight, I remember this this episode here. <laughs> now, when's the last time the Knicks won a championship? The 70s, right? Early 73. Yes. Are the New York Knicks now officially America's hard luck team? Like, I'm talking across all North American sports. No. No? Who do you think is the hard luckiest <laughs> team? There's still plenty of teams out there that have never won a championship. But are they, I mean, I think there's a balance of prolific nature. You know, there are some hard luck markets, but maybe they don't saturate outside that market very much. Like the Cubs were, they were definitely America's premier hard luck team until they won the World Series, which made me happy. But I I would say it might be the Knicks because the Knicks are very prolific. The Knicks are one of those teams that you think of as, you know, when they're good things are good for the NBA. They're one of those legacy prime franchises like the Yankees, something like that, where you just expect them to be good every year. Yeah. And they haven't been for a long time. The Knicks always have that expectation and they never live up to it. But they've barely been hard luck because it seems like a lot of the Knicks problems have been very self-inflicted. They have one of the worst owners in sports. James, I'll play my guitar for you. Right. He, he does like a, a blues band shows at his arena. You're not successful because you're a blues jammer. No, you're successful because you inherited a whole lot of daddy's money. I think that's part of everybody who signs with the Knicks. They have to go to a concert and listen to him play. (laughs) This may be something that a lot of people that aren't New York sports fans might not know much about this guy. Oh yeah, James Dolan is one of the more hated men in New York. Ride, ride that slide Close your eyes And just glide And that's saying something. There's a lot of contenders there. Now the Knicks that we see in this movie that we are going to discuss, that's probably the peak that the Knicks have been in our lifetimes. These are the Knicks that I grew up with also. I mean, these were a big deal. They they never won a championship, but they the Knicks were a contender team in 90s basketball. Oh, yeah. They were consistently good after one certain moment, which is covered in this film. Were there times in your childhood where, as a New York Knicks fan, you would wake up covered in sweat because you saw Reggie Miller in your dreams? <laughs> Father, he's back in my dreams, Reggie Miller. I'm going to be much more honest with you here. It was more Jordan. Sure. (laughs) But those Pacers, they were in the conference, right? They were arch enemies. And yes, very, very hated. Folks, 
We are talking about, in case you haven't figured it out, a 30 for 30 that I've been looking forward to getting to for quite some time. Because you hate me. Because it can bust Drew's beans a little bit on this one. And it's also, to me, maybe one of the funniest ones we've done so far. But to Drew, it's right in line with Creeptober because this is a horror movie. This is a horror movie. This is not something that I want to see glorified in a documentary over and over again in slow motion and reliving all those (laughs) newspaper headlines. It did. It's Creeptober, man. This movie did touch base on other Pacers, but I kind of felt like like other players on the Pacers got more of the shaft than the New York teams. They roughly mention Mark Jackson for about two seconds, and Rick Smith appears a few times in all his <laughs> incredible goofiness. They make it seem like Reggie's doing it all, but Reggie was fucking good. Uh, Reggie did do it all for a couple games. This movie is directed by Dan Clores. Have I named the movie yet? No. We're talking about winning time. Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. By Dan Clores. 30 for 30, number eight. Number eight. (laughs) We're getting there, man. (laughs) This is going to take so long. We can't shut down the documenteers until we at least get through the first three years. You guys need to be supporting this because we have a whole lot of 30 for 30s to get through. We got a lot. But and in sh- the meantime, we'll uh, we'll cut into some other stuff, too. Andre the Giant was super fun. Yeah. I was skeptical on your Herzog month, making me do a Herzog movie. German television about a sport I've never heard of. Yeah. But that was an entertaining episode. I really enjoyed talking about it with you guys. And it was, it was a good documentary. Yeah, it was you, a totally different vibe. You gave that one a higher rating than you do most of the 30 for 30s we watch. I should have gone higher on that one, I feel like. Well, I think it was came out pretty good. But I think I have a slightly different take on your Herzog scale than some of your, the other documenteers' guests. Mm-hmm. Look, you say, spoiler alerts, it's best out of five. Yeah. You're rating one through five. That means two and a half is an average movie. Yes. In my opinion. Sure. So if you're talking about a movie that's slightly above average, maybe it's a three. Yeah. Three and a half for something that's pretty well above average. I've kind of been marking average three, and I have realized recently that that's probably too high. It is pretty average. I've always thought of that, but it's not a sixth rating scale. But the Herzog system works because, yes, everyone has their own interpretation of how they apply the Herzog system to their movies. But it's always personable, and that's the point of the Herzog system. Say I watched uh, a movie in the theaters alone, and I gave it a three out of five Clint Howards. The Herzog system isn't complete because I have to find one other person with an opinion on that movie who then gives it their own Clint Howards. It requires two people to combine for best out of 10. Just like a nuclear bomb. So if I really like a movie and I gave it five Clint Howards and I came across someone and I was discussing this movie with someone and they were like, I hated that movie. I give it one Clint Howard. And if you have not paired your Clint Howards with some other person and that person declares a one Clint Howard, you're stuck with that rating. Six out of ten Clint Howards for I that. just assumed you would immediately fistfight if there was that big a difference on the Clint Howard scale. It can be contentious, but that's just how it works. It's fair but firm and can be cruel if not used correctly. The Herzog rating system. As cruel as Creeptober. Not as cruel as this movie for Knicks fans. Ugh. We open up on some opera on Patrick Ewing. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is the opposite of the U. We're not seeing <laughs> some fun two live crew jams and dances. Nope. Straight opera. It's like it's drooling over sad Knicks players. We got John Starks. He, we see he won't shake Reggie Miller's hand. What's up with that? Reggie's the classic. Like he threw uh, something at you and then you get mad. But what's wrong, man? That is Reggie. He's the bully that <laughs> will just deny it. He's a provocateur for sure. But Reggie says he's a little shook. Star well, at least he claims he is. That John Starks won't shake his hand. And he says, I'm going to embarrass this kid. I can imagine at this point you're like already holding back tears. Look, this is the year after one of John Stark's greatest moments. A poster that I had on my wall growing up in New York. His iconic dunk over Michael Jordan. Known as <laughs> the dunk for a while. It was on posters on probably every kid I knew that was a Knicks fan's wall. Dope. Like this dunk was amazing. John Stark's maintained like cult hero status there. And he was a pretty solid point guard for a while there for the Knicks. He was never great. He's not in the Hall of Fame discussion, but he was a solid guard. And that moment elevated him. That meant that Knicks fans liked this guy. And this was the Pat Riley Knicks, too. 90... We get to see him during the opera scene with his slicked back hair. Yeah. 90s basketball was so big. Like, I just remember so many stars of this era. I was very comfortable watching this movie because I was like, yeah, I know who all these guys are. Because we were all obsessed. We all collecting basketball cards. And uh, you'd get excited if you got a John Starks, even in, though I'm from Tennessee. This is straight up NBA Jam era basketball. Yeah. Where everyone's playing. You play as the Knicks. Who do you play as? You play as Starks and Ewing. You know, I did play as the Pacers a lot because I would just nail threes with Reggie Miller all the time. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> I knew there was a reason I hated you. There's this comparison that New Yorkers... The Sodom and the Gomorrah. Did you grow up on the taint of Gomorrah? Uh, yeah, straight Gomorrah land. And uh, Indiana was the promised land. I don't really understand. I mean, I get the stereotyping of anyone not from New York. It's from a rural area. It'd be like, New York, that big city mess. But what makes Indiana the fucking promised land? Because Indiana is the birthplace of basketball. That's right. It's where it was invented. Basketball in Indiana is more pure than basketball anywhere else. They know their fundamentals. They're good shooters. They don't buy in on all that fancy dribbling and driving. <laughs> They're fundamental passers and shooters, and that's the way basketball should be, the way God intended when he placed basketball in Indiana. God dang it. If they want to put this as a morality play... Indiana is the good, wholesome country boys who believe in God and have pure basketball in their hearts. And they're playing against those evil big city boys who wear their shorts too long and play ball in the streets instead of in gymnasiums the way it was invented. Now, as someone who came from the country, I can understand why people might see the big city folk as annoying, loud. Uh, their towns are overrated, too expensive to live in completely gilded societies now keep going but coming from the country environment this idea that everyone there is like some really good person i can tell you firsthand it is uh not like that even slightly it's everyone there's shitty people all over including out in the sticks as you could certainly imagine given the deep history of the south hey growing up in new york i didn't even know that every now and then a building near you explodes never crossed my mind yeah on your birthday, that happened. Hey, 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 that's different. 
Low blow, man. But we we see a Reggie Miller. I just don't want you to forget. Uh, Reggie Miller highlight reel. You see him shooting on like all the big names, shooting on the Bulls. He's uh, described as one of the great trash talkers. Other players, when they were getting ready to play him, would be say to themselves like a mantra, like, don't let Reggie get to you. Don't let Reggie get to you. And this guy was looking like, pre-Steph Curry out there, long-range shooters, seemingly able to hit it from just about anywhere on the court. You can see why people will have nightmares about this guy. And Reggie was a master showman, too. He wasn't just hitting shots and then walking back down the court. Now he'd get in everybody's face. He'd have his little poses after he shot. I really liked this point where they threw a whole bunch of talking heads at you. And I have no idea who pretty much any of them were in this entire movie. <laughs> sure. Except for Reggie's sister. When talking heads get to rolling, I'm just consigned to the fact that it's like, I just don't know who that is. No, no idea who they were. They work for a newspaper. They work for the TV station. They worked for the team. I don't know. I don't know who these people are. But they had some good quotes. One of them said that Reggie looked like Mr. Potato Head on a stick. It kind of does. He was a skinny guy with a weird shaped head. But you mentioned Cheryl Miller. Now, Cheryl Miller, if you think Reggie Miller's scary... Try Cheryl Miller, who essentially ground Reggie Miller into being the basketball star that he would become. You could very well be talking about one of the greatest basketball players of all time in Cheryl Miller. I don't have to show my hardware because the ball is around the world, no. But it had to be a little tough for Reggie, and they get into that a little bit, that his sister is one of the greatest basketball players. I ain't got to sit up there bling you because you know. All you got to do is this. Okay of her generation and reggie's no slouch but there's just something so prolific about cheryl miller he's always in her shadow but cheryl says that reggie he had that itch and he knew how to get under your skin yeah she says right away that reggie was he's maddening he is a maddening human being <laughs> that's his own sister talking about it when they just flash to patrick ewing as one of the talking heads he says reggie was a con man he was always flopping whenever he got near him he'd do anything it took you know tell you, i hated reggie we saw a clip of michael jordan like going off raking his face and just flipping out i like that aspect of reggie miller that i was like oh this is the greatest in the world I'm going to, like, insult him blatantly all the time until he just loses his shit. And apparently that's just who he was. He was always like that. They brought in his sister saying that, yeah, he's a maddening human being. He's maddening. When we were playing together on the court, I always wanted to, to beat the hell out of him. I wouldn't take it easy on my little brother, even when their parents stepped in and were like, take it easy on Reggie. Like, <laughs> no, Cheryl. Reggie's super annoying. I'm going to beat the hell out of him. Cheryl, stop it. Cheryl. The ball is around the world. No. <laughs> We're talking like basketball parents here. And if a basketball parent is like, Cheryl, go easy on your brother. You know, she's going fucking hard. Oh, she's like, no, she's blocking all of his shots. She won't let him come in the lane. <laughs> and if anyone tried to make fun of him, though, for his sister being better than him or blocking all his shots, he'd be like, I couldn't take that too personally because she would do that to anybody in the neighborhood. The ball is around the world. No, right. She was better than everyone. You couldn't be like, oh, your sister's better than you. He's like, yeah, better than you, too. I don't yeah. care who you are. John Starks, he's not really played up as a bad guy. Reggie is the villain in this movie. And the hero. John Starks, he's he's all heart. He's got heart like John Starks. He's played as Reggie's emotional foil, basically. He seemed like a guy that, or at least he's presented very well in this movie, as a guy who wore his heart on the sleeve. He had a great natural talent, but he was always very coiled, and he can go from very playful to very angry. But everyone 
that knew John Starks knew him as a very heartfelt and sincere guy. Oh, yeah. They mentioned John Starks being an emotional guy. Myself watching this documentary and anybody else who grew up watching the 90s Knicks is like, yeah, uh, no shit. John Starks is an emotional guy. Yeah. You know that the second you see him play on TV. This movie, I believe, is our first appearance of Mike Francesa. I can do rows really fast because I'm good with my snowball because I use my snowball all the time. Our Mike Francesa count is at one. But Reggie, again, he says he's going to embarrass Starks. He knows he's emotional and he just goes into full out Reggie Miller. I'm going to be an asshole mode. Yep. You see him guarding Starks, just putting his hand right in his face. <laughs> you look at it, you're like, oh, what a dick. <laughs> you did that in street ball, especially in New York, you'd get punched. You can't play basketball like that. <laughs> oh, that must be the pure Indiana way. And he does this the whole game, and eventually Starks loses it. He would flop if anyone made contact with him, but he would always, when he was moving around you or something, he'd throw a little elbow in the ribs that the refs couldn't see. Right. And Starks throws a slight one, and uh, Reggie goes down like a sack of potatoes. Reggie's just acts incredulous. It made me want to strangle him, just watching him act, even after all these years, being so incredulous about it. Like, what are you talking about? Let's just play ball. <laughs> the big thing here is eventually Starks does lose his cool. Everybody on the Knicks is telling him he's trying to go at you. Just leave it alone. Don't let Reggie get into your head. Patrick Ewing is like, John, calm down. Patrick Ewing, to his credit, had a cooler mind. Obviously. <laughs> but Starks can't take it anymore. He's Reggie's target. And he does something dumb. It's not something major. But he gets when they're up in their face talking like they have been all throughout the game, right in each other's faces, he gives Reggie a little headbutt. Everything just came up to my head. I just tapped him. And, you know, he went into the theatrical, you know, falling back and like I didn't kill him or something. It's a little headbutt. And the reactions from everybody are amazing. Surprised he's had like a pack of ketchup and just put it up to his head. You look and you think that he was bleeding. He probably would have if he could get away with that. But Starks get eject gets ejected from the game for the headbutt. It changes the complexion of the game. And Ewing and Oakley have to be basically restrained from killing John Starks. Yeah, Ewing is pissed. This is exactly what they told him not to do. I tell you what this movie has more than any 30 for 30 we've seen so far. And I think the closest up to this point was probably Small Potatoes. There was some funny qualities to that movie. But the comic timing and the editing layout of this one is really well done. And these are true stories that happened in sports. We get the inside scoop of uh, John Stark's turmoil and how Reggie behind the scenes is just gleefully like egging this. Unless you're a Knicks fan. If you're a Knicks fan, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're not it's as experienced, you're laughing at this movie. It's got great timing. It is goofy. And then they cut to the press conferences that Reggie Miller had after that game. And he's obviously so proud of himself. He's got this big <laughs> smile on his face. And he just continues to be completely full of shit. He's like, I don't talk trash. I don't know what made him angry. Reggie Miller said he didn't provoke John Starks in game three. He said the Knicks guard must have had problems with room service earlier in the day. Or maybe he was taking a shower and the maids came in. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> maybe he didn't sleep well the night before, <laughs> but it wasn't anything I did. I don't know. I'm innocent. Halo. And now we meet a filmmaker. Well, we all know Spike because he's got Black Klansman. I think that's in the theaters now as of our recording this. But he was a diehard New York Knicks fan. Courtside seats. And he always provided this element and the, the media, especially in the 90s, 
love to put the camera on Spike all the time. I guess it's hard not to notice when you're like, oh, is that fucking Spike Lee? Like right by the court side. But Spike comes on and he's like, people always wanted New York to lose. No one wanted New York to win. Anyone who wasn't from New York would take pride in beating a New York team. We get this point hammered home a couple times that it is a rivalry between the cities and they think of it as a philosophical rivalry. It's not just that basketball started in Indiana, not in New York, but they think that New York gets credit for it as being the basketball mecca, which places like Rucker Park do have that reputation as being like, this is where basketball was born the way we play. The New York basketball was cocky. They didn't have, they didn't need nets on their <laughs> baskets. Right. And they drove and dribbled and played kind of a, a stylish form of the game as opposed to the the pure basketball with the fundies that Indiana had, but they love beating those fancy boys from New York. And they have these other perceived grudges too. They date back to before Indianapolis joined the NBA. They won a championship in the ABA, but they felt like that got no coverage. The American Basketball Association. Before it merged with the NBA. Yes. So that got no national coverage. They only liked, that big city media only talked about the NBA championship that the Knicks won in the same year. Before the merger in 1973, the Pacers won the ABA, the Knicks won the NBA. And like, all oh, that big city media is covering the NBA championship so much more than our championship. They go through this listing of celebrities and people who are from certain regions. And this was very funny to me. For Indiana, they described a lot of like hometown basketball heroes, including Larry Bird, who was from Indiana. But when they get to New York, they, are, they throw around names like Alec Baldwin, Woody Allen, Donald Trump, like these are who represented New York. This is a who's who of people you just wish would just go away. Yeah, basically. that's the Indiana point of view. They're saying these people are who represent New York to us. <laughs> they sure aren't no Larry Birds. Well, those Hicks would vote for one of those dudes in uh, 2016. Yeah, it sure flipped around fast, didn't it? <laughs> they also feel like they were disrespected. Other players would say that they called Indianapolis Nap City when they went on <laughs> trips to play them because there was nothing to do except take a nap. <laughs> Just go to your hotel room and go to sleep. But then they had another big flashpoint in the contention between Indianapolis and New York. It's the 1985 draft with a lot riding on it. And this is the subject of so many NBA conspiracy stories. Neither the Pacers or the Knicks are very good at all. The 1985 draft is the first draft where they implement the lottery system. So the worst 10 teams all have a chance at the number one pick. They've got a big hopper there like Bingo, and they're flipping around cards with all the team's logos in them. And the commissioner, David Stern, is going to pull one out one by one until they get to the number one pick. Both the Pacers and the Knicks are in that lottery, but the big deal here is everybody wants number one. Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing, Georgetown star, NCAA championship winner. Everybody wants that number one pick that he's looked at like LeBron coming out of the draft in more recent terms. An absolute can't-miss prospect. Turn your team around quickly. The then-GM of the Knicks, Dave DeBusschere, he's pumped because he... He's got the first pick. This came out of here, and that means that the franchise, seven-foot Patrick Ewing, is coming to New York. Ewing is a Nick. And who came in second? Who got the number two pick? Indiana Pacers. That's right. The second pick felt like a big loss, and the conspiracy came in here that the league favored the Knicks. They wanted the premier franchise in the biggest market to do well again. So as the story goes, that envelope might have been marked in a secret way, the one with the Knicks logo on it. Either it had a folded corner 
or it was frozen is kind of the most popular one. So that one envelope was cold to the touch. So when David Stern was reaching in to pick the envelopes, he knew which one was the Knicks envelope. Do you believe this conspiracy? It seems interesting. I love this conspiracy because this is the NBA conspiracy to most people. You will ask a lot of NBA fans, and there's a couple big conspiracies. Michael Jordan was driven from the game on a secret gambling suspension is probably the second biggest. But the number one biggest NBA conspiracy is this 1985 draft was rigged for the Knicks. The frozen envelope is kind of the the famous thing right there that he knew he wanted the biggest market to not be a crappy team. And Patrick Ewing could do that very quickly. So he knew which one was the Knicks envelope and he made sure that that ended up as the number one pick and which team got screwed the most, the team with the number two pick in that draft. So if they didn't cheat, maybe they would have been number one, the Indiana (laughs) Pacers, those holy boys from the Midwest who would never cheat. We see Cheryl, she's talking about how they, she didn't even know Indiana had a, a basketball team. <laughs> Indiana's famous for its high school basketball teams, Hoosiers. They looked at the Pacers as just kind of like their Hoosiers. Now, the draft is coming. The Pacers fans, they're looking at this boy named Steve Alfred. He's a big Hoosier, a local boy, an all-time state champion. When it comes time to make the pick at the draft, the GM, Don Walsh, he said in his words, because everyone wants him to pick Steve Alfred, he walks up to the mic, goes reggie miller and then runs off (laughs) the stage man i love this story steve alford was the all-time leading scorer in indiana hoosiers history he won an ncaa championship with the indiana hoosiers the pacers were so excited to have the chance to draft him and they have a new gm donnie walsh who would later be a knicks gm actually with much less success fun fact But Walsh, he thinks Reggie Miller is going to be the better player than Steve Alford. But he knows how unpopular it's going to be. (laughs) He says, I don't mind getting booed. I'm going to get booed a lot. But I thought someone might shoot me. So I ran (laughs) onto the stage, (laughs) said Reggie Miller, and ran back off the stage. I love the contrast. You see old ladies crying and pissed off Pacers fans. We're really disappointed that we can't go watch him. We wish that he'd be here in Indiana and we would have been there. Now that's not right. <laughs> so they're stupid. Then it cuts to the Miller family. Man, Indiana was not happy to get Reggie Miller. And immediately, Reggie felt like he had something to prove. He got booed huge on draft night. All these old ladies in Indiana are yelling, Oh man, Reggie Miller. Now that's not right. Reggie loves that. If you hate on Reggie, he eats it like Pac-Man eats those yellow dots. It just empowers him. They say, hey, Reggie, you're going to be okay if you can play like your sister. Cheryl's still one of the best women's players in the world. The ball is around the world, no. Reggie, still in the shadow. We get a wonderfully un-PC quote from a basketball announcer as they show awesome Cheryl Miller highlights for a while. Where he says, Cheryl plays like no other woman has ever played, like a man. Reggie tells a story about how he had a really good high school game. He had the his best <laughs> high school game. And he comes home and he's strutting like a rooster to the family. And he's bragging to Cheryl. He's like, Cheryl, I got 40 points last night at the high school game. And then the family, they just kind of look at each other. Because Cheryl had a game last night as well. And it's revealed that Cheryl also... In her high school basketball game, she had 105 (laughs) points. The ball is 
games around the world know. She made national news with a 105-point game that same day. Yeah, it's a great story. You couldn't win! We cut back now to yet another point where they're driving home the difference between Indiana and New York. I wish I grew up in this super cool, crazy, wild New York that they all seem to think that New York is. Every time they flash all these New York scenes like, oh, look at the big city. No, come on, guys. I like the, I like getting this an Indianan's view of what New York was in the 90s. <laughs> this is what they think it is. It's, it's very entertaining as someone who grew up in New York in the same time period. You're like, oh, this is cool. This is what people actually thought <laughs> we were all doing. All right. Reggie's yeah. presence and skill on the Pacers only increases this rivalry. Between these teams, it was like you win the game or you win the fight. We see a nice foul montage. I was a big fan of that. Yeah, they did a good job here in, set, in setting the tone that although these teams thought they were polar opposites, they both played a very similar style of basketball. They showed the coaches as total opposites. There was slick hair and Armani Pat Riley. Oh, he's so New York. But he teaches his team to fight every game that everybody else that's not the Knicks is the enemy. He wouldn't even let them talk to other players before the game on other teams, even if they went to college together. It's like, no, everybody's the enemy. But the Pacers had Larry Brown as their coach at this time. Larry Brown from Long Beach, New York, my hometown. Whoa. Driving this point home again. Good to see Larry Brown out there. Not in this role. But he's the coach of the Pacers, and he's an absolute perfectionist. His players kind of hated him. They didn't really like playing for him, but that hate for their coach brought them together as a team. <laughs> but he's teaching the same thing. They're saying, you, we're going to be a tough team. We're going to win the game or we're going to win the fight. But nobody can drive the lane. Don't let them drive the lane ever. If they come down the middle, they're going to get fouled. Nobody's going to get a layup. They had some tough guys. The Pacers had the Davis brothers. Well, the Davis boys. I don't think they were actual brothers, but they both had the same last name. And the New York Knicks of the 90s, this was a badass team. Yeah. You had Ewing and Starks, kind of the star scorers, but you had Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason, two of the most intimidating people to ever play basketball, <laughs> and the same forward line. I mean, these guys were absolute badasses. Something happens in 1993 that people didn't really expect. Jordan leaves the NBA to go play baseball. Was he secretly suspended for gambling? Or Perhaps. did he just really want to play baseball for a little while? Does his press conference where he said he lost the desire to play. And if you remember again, it was that terrible tragedy. His father was murdered. Yeah. After the championship in the previous year. So he said he wanted his dad to see his last game. And it was kind of a very somber, touching press conference where there's, Jordan said he didn't have the fire anymore. That murder. There's so much shade around that murder. But I feel like at the same time, there's not a lot of discussion about that murder. I want a documentary about the murder of Michael Jordan's dad. I'm just throwing that out there right now. You make it, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see it. But Jordan was so dominant that his leaving meant that the championship was up for grabs. Oh, my. It, this changed everything. When Jordan was playing in the Eastern Conference, the Bulls were going to win the Eastern Conference. They were that good. And this is the part that's that's a little disconnect on this documentary that makes it a little bit easier for me to handle the creeptober. <laughs> and the Reggie Miller winning time documentary here, is that it was really the Bulls that were the team that broke my heart every single year sure. by knocking the Knicks out. He had all his great games at Madison Square Garden that you remember. Michael Jordan just completely owned the Knicks. It wasn't even a rivalry. He dominated. 
But when he retired, that opened things up in the East. And immediately the two top teams to try to fill that void for the Chicago Bulls were going to be the Knicks and the Pacers. So everyone's pumped. And sure enough, June 1st, 1994, we go into the playoffs. Pacers and the Knicks, as they are expected to, enter the playoffs. Meet for the Eastern Conference Championship. This is the Eastern Conference Finals. Who's going to go to the NBA Championship? It's Pacers, Knicks. Both teams hold their home court advantage. Knicks win two games at home. Pacers win two games at home. Series is tied. I also like seeing the scores of these games. Again, these were tough defensive-minded teams, but we're seeing scores like 88 to 68, 83 to 77. (laughs) That doesn't happen in today's basketball. It's a slightly different game now. Now, Spike Lee, he says that Reggie and I, we were always cool, but we bet for this series that if the Knicks win, Reggie had to go visit Mike Tyson in prison. <laughs> Where did this come from? I don't know. Was that like considered like a ooh burn? You got to go talk to the rapist Mike Tyson. I don't know. This was just one line, and it was never explained anymore. But why the hell was that Spike Lee's side of the bet? <laughs> if the Knicks won, Reggie Miller had to go visit Mike Tyson in prison. <laughs> but if the Pacers win, Reggie's wife would be in a role in Spike's next film. See, that makes sense. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, go visit Mike Tyson in prison. Maybe Reggie and Spike were talking one day, and Reggie was like, gosh, you know, I'd never want to go to that prison and talk to Mike Tyson. That's the one thing in this world I'd never want to do. And Spike was like, maybe I can make that happen. (laughs) Could you get Reggie to come in here? (laughs) Spike was very present in the Knicks games, but he wasn't a professional basketball player. No, not even close. But he was a professional trash talker, one might say. Reggie kept saying that Spike would bring Cheryl into the trash talking from courtside. (laughs) He says again that that didn't even get under his skin because, again, Cheryl was better than every guy they met. So it didn't matter that they would say, oh, your sister's better than you. But look, this was not just Spike Lee. I can personally attest (laughs) that pretty much every Knicks fan in that building was doing the Cheryl... Cheryl, 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 all those other idiots at the garden. That was not me. Well, Reggie Miller getting the treatment from the crowd, as he usually does here at Madison Square Garden. Cheryl. The ball is around the world, no. There is some uh, allegedness that maybe Spike helped fuel that fire. Well, (laughs) when we get into these games, yeah, Spike was the Knicks super fan. And again, as a Knicks fan, Spike Lee was annoying. You're watching the Knicks games, you're like, sit down and shut up. We didn't come to see you, we came to see the Knicks. (laughs) So Spike Lee was not like universally beloved. But the Indiana side kind of singled him out as representative of all New Yorkers. Like, Spike Lee represents all those New York fans who's loud and yelling and making himself the center of attention, making movies like a fancy boy. It's not like New York City's a place of a melting pot full of different (laughs) cultures and perspectives. They're all just like that guy. Look how loud and obnoxious they are. Isn't that every New Yorker ever? Well, stereotypes are for a reason. But Spike inadvertently inspired Reggie more than the rest of the Knicks. And Reggie, let's undress this a little bit. He does a hand motion (laughs) to Spike. The Pacers, (laughs) nobody was giving them much of a chance here because the series is tied two games to two. The home team won each of the first four games. So we go into the the tie-breaking game five at Madison Square Garden in New York. The Pacers were something like 
two and thirty-one in their last thirty-three games in New York. They had no confidence that they could win in New York. They'd been absolutely rocked there consistently. And they come out, the Knicks are winning 70-58 to 58 in the fourth quarter of this game, just the way everybody expected. But Reggie kind of singles out Spike Lee here as his personal nemesis, and he gets hot. He's hitting every shot, and as he's getting hotter, he's just walking down the court staring down Spike Lee after every single <laughs> shot. Like he was personally defending him or something. But at one point, Spike says he does this towards his wife. His wife was sitting next to him. Yeah. He did it at Spike. But they come all the way back and Reggie throws up the choke sign. Yeah, he Real makes famous. it sound like he chokes himself. But that's not all he does. He grabs at his nuts. That's what Spike said. I don't remember that. I, I mean, they show it. It seemed very quick. Yeah. I definitely remember the choke signal, though. Yeah. Prancing down the court, showing that the Knicks are choking, that they're coming back. And yeah, I like that they uh, they mentioned how much Spike Lee's wife wanted no part of this. She was not trash talking during the game. She was just sitting courtside watching a basketball game. And all of a sudden, the game is between their seats and Reggie Miller. And Reggie is lit up. He, We see a shot of him shooting a 20-footer that I swear barely arced. It looked like it just went straight into the damn net. He ends up putting in 25 points in the fourth quarter alone. The Pacers come back and win the game. And all the New York newspapers blame Spike Lee. It's got to be the shoes. <laughs> they might not be wrong. In some ways, I mean, Reggie Miller is a professional basketball player, but as we've discussed, hate charges him up now game six is looking bleak it's back in indiana the indianapolis fans are so fired up and man do they have it out for spike they say the most hated pacer was reggie miller the most hated nick was spike lee it's gotta be the shoes he didn't even play for them spike says that indiana was the birthplace of the clan that's actually pulaski tennessee which isn't too far from here yeah he was uh, a little bit worried going into this game in Indiana with them hating him so much. Oh, he said they had signs that showed like lynching Spike Lee. Yeah, a, a bit much Indiana. In the crowd, they were after it. And somebody makes a really good point here that he says, if the roles were reversed, everybody in Indiana would have hated Reggie Miller. He's doing that exact same cocky bullshit. True. Showing himself, doing all the hand signals. But since he's doing it to those fancy big city New Yorkers, oh man, they love him for taking it to them. But the New Yorkers don't seem to care much for Spike either. I mean... No, they're all blaming Spike for firing him up. I don't get, like, Spike's face next to a noose. Uh, that's Indiana, slow your fucking roll. But you get why everyone kind of does hate Spike. He's kind of putting himself somewhere... That he's not the one that did the work to get on that court, you know. No, he's emblematic of it. They, again, just kind of push off all of their feelings about New York that this movie has driven home time and time again. Onto Spike Lee as an avatar of all of that. John Starks is lit up in this game, and the Knicks walk away with a win. Starks has the huge game, and Reggie Miller misses a free throw at the end. Did he choke? Maybe. Maybe you choked, Reggie. Maybe he choked on purpose so he could get their hopes up and hurt the Knicks in New York. Well, how's that work out for him? But John Starks, after the game is over, runs the length of the court to give Spike Lee a hug. Whoa. Just to show that, <laughs> hey, if you're one of us, if they all hate you, well, then we got your back. Yeah. Take that, all this Indiana crowd that is 99.99% white yelling at Spike Lee. <laughs> In Indiana, they were actively trying to make it a point not to sell a ticket to Spike Lee. 
but he went through some scalpers and that's how he got his ticket. They they found out who sold the ticket that Spike Lee got to sit courtside. <laughs> it was some auto dealer. And they never mentioned what happened to that auto dealer. Under a cornfield somewhere. <laughs> Game seven at the garden. Uh, Reggie says he wanted that pressure. He needed that pressure. Cheryl all over again. But the Knicks end up winning. Oh, what's this movie called? Reggie Miller's Winning Time? <laughs> no, sorry. Game seven of this series. Soak it the up Knicks while you got it. it. The Pacers do not even beat the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Championship where Reggie Miller was making his choke signs and getting all famous. But you know what? Then the Knicks go to the NBA Finals and get knocked out in seven games a really hard-fought series with a lot of other storylines in it against the houston rockets Houston rockets they won the two championships spoiler they win the next year too but they won the two championships in between the bulls eras yeah who filled michael jordan's shoes in those two years he was missing from the nba Hakeem Olajuwon. Scheme the dream. Yeah. Seven foot tall with a basketball. He slams like he's insane. Grandmaster of the NBA. Just a novice at the game. Driven with sweat and soaking wet. Etonics on his feet. When his name's Akeem and he's called the dream And I won't accept defeat Unbeatable These teams in this documentary are battling for Eastern Conference supremacy But then the Rockets are the team that's really got it But that series, it's not part of this movie That Houston series was incredibly painful as a Knicks fan We have Charles Smith his finger roll. Charles Smith is a talking head in this movie On the Knicks side Knicks fans hate Charles Smith almost as much as Reggie Miller A guy named Mark Jackson from the Clippers, he was traded to the Pacers, much to his relief. The Clippers were kind of a non-entity at this time. But he came up as a Nick originally. Yes. And the Knicks let Jackson go. He didn't fit in, apparently. So he goes to the Pacers in this big trade. He says, if he, I played for the Pacers, that's a championship. And he wants to beat the Knicks just as bad as anybody else. He's got a grudge against the Knicks. So he wants to join up with Reggie Miller. Nick's arch enemy number one, and beat them with the Pacers. And he brings a little inside info. His best job is firing up Reggie. They said that Reggie wouldn't even leave the hotel when he was in New York, and that Mark would call him up and tell him things like, can you hear what they're saying about you? Can you believe what they're doing over here? Reggie, you gonna let that happen? His job was to trigger Reggie so he could get some brilliant shooting performances out of him. And what happens? These two teams meet in the playoffs again. Semifinals. Not the Eastern Conference Finals this time. Yeah. Semifinals. But it's Pacers versus Knicks, badass team versus badass team, super physical again. And game one is what this documentary is about. The Knicks are up. It's looking really good. But the Pacers need six points. The game is almost over. Stop. I can't take any more of this <laughs> creepy October. No more horror movies, horror documentaries in October. I didn't sign up for this you're, documentary. You're, it's freaking the fuck out right now, folks. You, you didn't believe me. This is a horror movie. 
Don't say the words 18.9 seconds. Miller hits a quick three. It happens. They go to throw the ball back in. Steals the ball back. He has Maybe the... he pushes somebody over to do it. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe he pushes someone. And he has the wherewithal, the mental fortitude. What do they call it? <laughs> the presence of mind. Presence the of presence mind. of mind. And then he has the presence of mind. To have the presence of mind. The presence of mind. 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 You get the a, presence of mind. We get the a presence mon- of mind. We get a montage of the words presence of mind. <laughs> As it is impressive, though, Reggie steals the ball back after an alleged push, has the presence of mind. Presence of mind. To step back to the three line because he needs that. A lot of players, they might grab that ball and just instinctively throw it at the goal. No, Reggie's like, I know I have to take two steps back, pop back here, sinks the three. And here we get the most important quote of the entire movie. There is a time to play and there's a time to win. What do you do in winning time? That differentiates between just a regular player and a superstar. Oh, And I agree with that. Modern analytics have kind of taken the the idea of a clutch player out of our out of modern sports, there's no such thing as clutch. Players are good or they're not good, and they come through at a roughly same average in big spots as they would in a regular spot. I disagree. Some players have that that winning time mentality. They want the, the ball in their hands when it matters the most. And other players might shirk from that moment. We see in this game a real dumb foul. Sends John Starks to the line to get the Knicks right back into this game after Reggie's two threes in just a couple of seconds. Yeah, allegedly shoving Greg Anthony. But Greg Anthony didn't have the ball at the time, but Reggie put him out of position. He slipped. But but you can tell. Reggie put an arm on his back (laughs) on his way down. You can tell how it'd be easy to miss, though. Also, it was Anthony Mason throwing the ball in because they'd lost Ron Harper earlier in that game. Yeah. Which he did not normally do. Mace was the enforcer for this team. (laughs) But as you said, Sam Mitchell fouls John Starks. A dumb foul. Starks go to the line, and right away they say they see it in his eyes. And they cut to Starks, and Starks says the weirdest thing to me. He says that he's thinking about how stupid that foul was. And it threw him off his game. He's like, why would they why would they ever foul me right there? And that's what's going through his mind right here. And the garden is so quiet. So quiet when he's at the free throw line for these free throws. He misses both free throws. The game is tied. 105 to 105. He misses both the free throws. And then what happens? Even dumber. (laughs) Anthony Mason fouls Reggie Miller. Oh, yeah. Of all the guys you want to foul. (laughs) Maybe he's getting him back for that little elbow from earlier. Uh, you, You foul Reggie Miller, the guy who threw up the choke signs last year. The guy who's red hot and just scored six points in a matter of seconds to tie the game up. Does Reggie miss his free throws? No, he hits that first. He hits them both, and they're up two. Ah, the horror. Choke, 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 Knicks fans. I'm out of here. That's it. (laughs) Hey, I know you're scared, but we'll get through this. Reggie Miller scored eight points in 18.9 seconds, and the Pacers won this game. What a meltdown. They were talking about how Knicks fans that missed the tail end thought the game was over and that the Knicks won. 
And the other fans were like, no, you idiot. We fucking lost. I remember this very, very clearly. This was just an unbelievable turn of events. Again, the Pacers don't win at Madison Square Garden. And this is game one of the playoffs. To choke the game away in such a fashion to the guy who made the choke sign famous the year before. It was just unbelievably brutal. And the Knicks win game two and say, choke on this. Take that. Take that, Reggie. But the Pacers, they go on to win game four. Now, uh, Patrick Ewing, he's wrapped up. His knee is wrapped. Is it his knee or his arm? I can't remember. It's his lower leg. It's kind of a calf thing. Right. But this is, Ewing's legs are beat up. They've been beat up for a little while. He's missed games, but he's still Patrick Ewing. But the Pacers won both the games in Indianapolis. They're up three games to one in the series. And Larry Brown (laughs) says, hey, we can't be too confident here. We haven't beaten these guys in a series, in a season series or in a playoff series since the French Revolution. Thanks for that, Larry Brown. Just made me feel a little bit better after the whole 18.9 seconds scene. But Ewing is clutch in game five. They win. Uh, They say Ewing traveled. He said, and I quote, I thought I was Michael Jordan. (laughs) When you're looking at those old Michael Jordan sweet dunk highlights, count the steps. He hits the buzzer beater, the game winner. Knicks won Win game six at the Garden as well, and we got a game seven again for the second year in a row at Madison Square Garden. Reggie has reverence for the Garden. He says that all the great players play great at Madison Square Garden. Woody Allen is there. Jerry Seinfeld is there with his then-teenage girlfriend. We always forget that in the 90s... All these guys were creeps. Jerry Seinfeld picked up a teenager and dated her. (laughs) And people barely said anything about it they have a great little line in the beginning of this one too that before the game look the pacers were so inspired by going up three games to one in the series their miracle win in game one but then they lost the next two games and they have to play a game seven in the garden again their coach had said don't get too confident we can't we haven't beat this team in a series in so long just the previous year they had their their choke moment with reggie miller but they still lost the series in seven games so who comes up in the pregame meeting Rick Smith, the goofiest <laughs> dude to play basketball. <laughs> Again, speaking as a Knicks fan, I hated Reggie Miller. I also hated Rick Smith. <laughs> they thought of him as their version of Ewing. He wasn't on Ewing's level. He had terrible injury problems, too. His were in his feet because he was just one of those guys who seemed like he grew too tall for his body. Yeah. He had all these awful feet injuries, but he still played. He was a tough guy. His English might not have been the best. <laughs> He was so goofy. Hadn't talked in six games, they say. There was never a word from Rick Smith <laughs> before this game. Let's go kick ass. Another so, classic part of watching these highlights here is remembering the tears, the tragedy. No, these were some good times, man. There were good times, too. <laughs> the Knicks beat the Pacers in the last one. What is this winning time we're talking about? <laughs> but it's watching all these basketball highlights. Again, 90s basketball was so important. It was... Both of our kind of formative years watching this, really excited. You've got these players' posters on your wall. It's a, it's a fun time for basketball. And again, as a Knicks fan, the biggest thing was Marv Albert announcing all these games. Marv Albert was the biggest name in the business. Marv the Biter Albert. <laughs> We're hearing in all these highlights, that's Marv Albert announcing these Knicks games. <laughs> What, what did we just say? All these dudes were creeps? Yeah. Marv Albert, biting women. He was He's classic. He's pre-Me Too. He's like the template for the Me Too movement is Marv Alberts. Uh, But hearing his voice as a Knicks broadcaster still brings me back a bit. He could get that one done. We had a tough, hard-fought Game 7, 
It comes all the way down to the wire, and the Knicks get the ball to set up the game-winning shot. Everybody knows who the ball's going to. The man, Patrick Ewing, the clutch master himself. And Ewing gets through. He gets down the lane. What a move he makes. Sweet He's move. Kinda, it's pretty and it's tough at the same time. He gets the ball at the top of the key, does a little turn, and just kind of forces his way past the Pacers right into the middle of the lane. Exactly where both of these teams had said, no team drives the middle on us. He went up. Now, keep in mind, Ewing... We establishes he's got leg problems. He's probably got the he's a professional athlete, but his legs are probably the equivalent of like a middle aged man at this point. And he goes up, he's got it, he's hit the paint, he's looking great, wide open. He got right through them for a clear shot at the basket, a layup. Lays up, the ball goes up. I see the ball hit Budu. Budu. It went in and out and rolled around. Off the back iron. Off the back iron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this October episode thing is tough. Oh, I, you're sweating, folks. Uh, you can't see this because it's a podcast. He is sweating right now. He's drenched in sweat. Wait, now he's crying. Now he's crying. The coolest person in this entire documentary is Cheryl Miller. The ball is around the world now. She's so great with her reactions, and she's so real and seemingly kind of unbiased. Like, she knows he's her brother. She loves him. She's rooting for him. They cut to her after the slow-mo. Again, I know this game. I remember this game very clearly. But they put this entire series where Ewing gets the ball, gets into the lane, gets through all the pacers for an open look at the rim. They put this in slow-mo, they cut it into pieces, and then when the ball hits the back of the rim, then hits the front of the rim and falls outside, they cut to Cheryl Miller. He misses? He misses? Are you kidding me? Ewan would later said that the way his brain was processing, that he was actually surprised he got through. He He was was expecting contact. Yeah, expecting real (laughs) contact, forcing a foul. It doesn't happen. And he said he couldn't get the air he wanted, so he wanted to dunk it. Had to revert to a layup. But he's coming off the expectation of contact. That never happens. So now, according to Ewing, his brain's like, oh, shit. And then what doesn't he doesn't expect it. He does the layup. It bounces out. That's really plausible. Obviously, you couldn't expect to, to get a layup uncontested in that situation. Yeah. Especially against these really tough teams. In any case, he misses the shot. Pacers win the game. The Knicks fall. Maybe this is Reggie Miller's winning time. It certainly wasn't the year before this. Miller (laughs) didn't have the game-winning shot this time, but the Pacers win a game seven in New York. Patrick Ewing never wins at all. A huge part of his legacy was that he never won a championship. And they cut to Charles Smith saying, That shot put the lid on the basket for all of our careers moving forward. Damn. Fuck you, Charles Smith. You missed an even bigger, even easier shot than that (laughs) in the NBA Finals. And they cut to you to make this quote? (laughs) 
That is just absolutely salt on the wound for Knicks fans. The Get out of here. The Pacers are pumped. Cheryl is pumped. <laughs> Reggie finally got over that hump. The movie ends. The movie ends on the quote. But it just would have been nice if it would have been the conference final. <laughs> <laughs> and as uh, the Knicks and the Pacers both still seeking their first title since 1973. <laughs> Yeah, the next series after that, the Shaq Magic beat the Pacers in seven games. That's right. They didn't even make the NBA Finals that year. The Orlando Magic beat the Pacers. And then the Houston Rockets swept the Magic in the Finals. Yes. And then in 96, (laughs) Michael Jordan came back to basketball, said, get the hell out of my way, all you other teams, and the Bulls won the championship again. Yeah, baseball went on. What if baseball never went on strike in the 90s? You think Jordan would have just stayed in baseball? No. Hmm. I don't know. He I got think there's something bag. to say about it. That was exciting. That was painful. But let's bring this point home here. This was only two seasons. Yeah. This whole thing, this giant drama between Reggie Miller and the Knicks was two seasons, two playoff series, one of which the Knicks won, and the other one in which the Pacers didn't even make it to the NBA Finals afterwards. Ooh, this so, is... Uh, you're wh- a little salty. Winning time? You're a little salty. <laughs> Where's the winning time here? But it's the a, Rockets were winning time but it's important when Michael the, Jordan was gone. It's important that the Pacers beat them the last time. They should go into that Rockets-Knicks series. Oh, there's a sequel <laughs> called Losing Time that shows uh, all the Knicks losing in finals. This was so important. This was a legend, this Miller versus the Knicks. Again, only two seasons, only two playoff series. The Pacers didn't even get an NBA Finals out of any of it. But we've got more 30 for 30s that spin off of this. You've got the one about Michael Jordan's two missed years of basketball. Mr. Jordan rides the bus. You've got Game 5 of the New York Knicks versus Houston Rockets championship. Oh, yeah. That gets totally skipped over in this one, but interrupted by the OJ chase. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's right. And they didn't even mention Stark's dunk on Jordan in the year before this all started. That would have been a nice way to build Stark's up as compared to Miller. This documentary is not called Remember Those Times the Knicks Won? (laughs) Except they did win one of these series. (laughs) And that was that film by Dan Clores, winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. Now, Drew, we don't rate in a star rating scale. Stars, garbage. As of this recording, I was at the Titans game last Sunday, the Tennessee Titans. You see how red I am? The sun is a star. This is what it can do to you. I got (laughs) fucking sunburned. Fuck stars. They will sunburn you, man. The more you know. We rate under a Herzog rating scale. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. We will combine them to make the perfect team of best out of 10 Hurt songs. I told you as we were going through this episode that I think this is the funniest 30 for 30 yet. I really got to hand it to Dan Clores and his editing team that they really nailed the comic timing of this. You might get a biased reaction to it for your Knicks fandom. I can understand it. I'm expecting it. But I laughed a lot during this movie. The struggles of John Starks. The struggles of Reggie and the shadow of Cheryl Miller. I want to see a 30 for 30 about Cheryl Miller. I don't have to show my hardware because the ball is around the world, no. Maybe it has. We just haven't looked through all 200 of them yet. I've looked through most of them and I don't see a Cheryl. But it's so funny. And then all this all this tumult, all this torture for both these teams. And at the end, of course, neither of these teams ever won a championship. And that's just like the final joke in the coffin. <laughs> 
I thought this was hilarious. I think this is one of my favorites that we've done so far. I'm going to give this one 4.25 out of 5 Herzogs. Drew, what did you think of this movie? Winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. You know what it doesn't say in that title? Which team was the winning time? Because it was one-to-one. One one. Doesn't necessarily say Reggie Miller's winning time versus the New York Knicks. They're talking about that mode of winning time. That <laughs> mode. Ewing had some clutch performances. John Starks had some good games. But at the end, winning time separates. It's true, man. Presence of mind. This was a really entertaining documentary. It was done so well. It was an hour-length documentary again, and it didn't have the flashy graphics, probably because Indianans don't go for any of that stuff. <laughs> they just throw corn. There was no long intro with hype music, just a little bit of opera to show you how serious it was and how pure. But it flew by. This hour absolutely flew by, but it still did everything it set out to do. It set up who Reggie Miller was. It spent time on his youth, on how he came up, on that draft story that I didn't know. The whole thing with him and Steve Alford and him being such an unpopular pick in Indiana. Look, us New Yorkers don't pay attention to those rubes out in middle America at all. So I didn't know they were upset about that draft pick. Yeah, plant, the planet <laughs> New York, you don't notice what rotates around planet New York. <laughs> That's still a part of America, really? <laughs> those flyover boys? <laughs> but that story was great Donnie Walsh being knowing that that pick was going to be so unpopular he had to run up there because he thought somebody might shoot him <laughs> that was funny out there in uh, NRA country it set up Reggie Miller it set up his personality it had his sister in there being like oh no even as a kid he was super annoying he never shut up ever <laughs> this was not somebody like making a game plan to personally get under people's skin this is who he was <laughs> this was natural Reggie Miller it set up why Indy versus New York mattered to so many people. I think it was a little heavy-handed with how many times it went back and forth between this is New York, this is Indiana. These people are New York, these people are Indiana. This is New York basketball, this is Indiana yeah. basketball. I, it, it was a little hammy, but I felt like it was very knowing of its own hamminess at the same time. It was setting up why this mattered to so many people, why why these two years between Michael Jordan championships were a big deal. And it showed games well. I liked the way they did the highlights. They kind of skipped a lot, but they hit all the important parts. And they showed a lot of highlights. They showed it slowed down. They showed it the way it needed to be shown for you to absolutely get the point of what all of this was. I really thought it was well done. And it did have a lot of good comedic timing. It was great the way these set both these teams up. And then they kind of messed with your expectations too. They didn't go into at all the series after these happened. This documentary was Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. They didn't care that the Houston Rockets won the NBA Finals both of these years. The Knicks-Rockets series had so much drama of its own. They didn't care that the Shaquille O'Neal Orlando Magic knocked the Pacers out right after they finally beat the Knicks. <laughs> no, this was about Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. It wasn't about Mark Jackson and Rick Smiths versus the New York Knicks. <laughs> it wasn't even about Larry Brown coaching against his hometown team. That doesn't get brought up a single time. No, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks did such a good job. It hit all the spots. I was going to give it a four. But just for showing all that Reggie Miller versus the Knicks highlights, 3.75. You don't Whoa. get a four. You don't get a four, Whoa. Reggie Miller. Take that for traumatizing me in, in Creeptober month or whatever this is. 
Folks, it's just, he's just being salty. He's just being salty. You take my 4.25, you combine it with Drew's 3.75. You have, correct me if I'm wrong, this might be the highest for 30 for 30 we've done so far. Eight out of 10 Herzogs. I'm trying to remember if we got any 30 for 30 higher than that. I don't think it is. Eight out of 10 Herzogs for Reggie Miller. Winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks by Dan Clores. What else did Dan Clores do? Uh, let's see. We Ring haven't of... called him director of something else this entire episode. The Boys of Second Street Park, Dan Clores, Ring of Fire, the Emily Griffith story. Oh, man, director. that's a hell of a documentary. Uh, <laughs> have you seen that one? Oh, yeah? The Emily Griffith boxing story. Oh, Ooh. man, we should watch it then. Is, is it uh, upbeat? No. My uncle's in it, though. No shit. We <laughs> got to watch it. Now, Drew, you can find the documenteers on social media. Just look up at documenteers, Twitter. Instagram. Some are more well-kept than others, but you can find us. We also have a Facebook page. Yeah, I know that. Email email us at documentaryspodcast at gmail.com for any, if you want to say anything to me or any suggestions or anything. Also, give us five stars and a brief review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, other podcast players to use as well. That helps the algorithm get us in front of people that will be interested in film podcasts like this one you just heard. And if you could do that, we really appreciate it. For those who have done it, fucking thanks a lot. You're awesome. It's a big deal to us that you've done that. And we appreciate your support so much. In due time, with plans that we're slowly getting to, hopefully we have to pay you back for that very soon. Other than just all this great content that you've already been hearing. Every single week, DocuFam. DocuFam. Drew, where can they find you? Well, Bob, you can find me. Oh, look. Every Sunday night, if you're right here in Nashville, on the radio at 101.5 FM for WXNA, talking about sports that happened recently, as opposed to all these movies about the old shit. We talk about the new stuff on the radio every week here in Nashville. And if you're not in Nashville, just go to WXNAFM.org, and you can stream it no matter where you live worldwide, whether it's in godly, holy, pure Indiana or the godless north in the big city of New York. <laughs> you can listen to that worldwide. Hit us up on social media at Walk It Off Radio. You can be a part of the conversation on any of those social medias, except Snapchat, because I'm not a teenage girl. But any of the other ones, at Walk It Off Radio, talk at us, listen to it. And Drew talk and, sports, man. It's and a Drew, lot of fun. Drew and Dave, they're very passionate. They know their shit. So interact, por favor. And that does it for this movie by Dan Clores. Winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. John Starks, calm the fuck down and keep on docking. I don't have to show my hardware because the ball is around the world, no. Backroom whispers. Now that's not right. I'm telling you, paranormal activity. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs>